Disinformation is a problem worldwide, and the elites say that they have a plan to stop it. We'll tell you what that plan is. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm here with Brad. I'm here with myself, Brad Binkley, and I'm also here with, with Monica Perez. I'm here with Brad Binkley. Yes, and I'm here with Monica Perez and Brad Binkley. How are you, Monica? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be away from the impeachment stuff for oh my freaking few minutes. Take a breather. Yeah, seriously. I uh, if I start dreaming about it, that's it. I'm throwing my TV out. It's almost like they're trying to put it in our dreams, like it's inescapable. It's weird. I mean, at this point, I really don't know how to look into it as if there's something going on. I'm just, I'm, I really feel clockworked, clockwork orange. Like I reject the system, but I'm still a slave to it. I can't escape it. It's got control of my mind. Yes. Yes. I hear you. And there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation that is coming out of. And non-information. And non-information. Like there's empty. nothing. There's a yeah. few tiny slivers of evidence and then a bunch of people day after day, hour after hour, saying stuff that may or may not be true and we'll never know. And you're never going to be able to prove any of it. So it's never going to go anywhere. And it's going to end for those people who are most invested in the outcome. It's going to end in despair for them because they're not going to like the outcome. And I'm assuming that most people that are heavily invested in it, I'm talking about true believers, are people who want to remove Trump from office. They can't be happy either freaking way because Pence in their mind is worse. I know. So but they, what on earth are they up to? It's one problem at a time they're worried about. They, they keep their protesters focused on that, not, not focused on the Pence thing, but focused only on Trump so they don't think about that other stuff. So they'll continue to follow their orders and uh, do their commands. And I listened to a think tank, very interesting think tank, about the spread of disinformation that it speaks to a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we're seeing in the news right now. But before we go into that, I want to read you a quick passage from a book called Psychopathology and Politics by Harold Laswell. And this is in the chapter called Political Agitators. This book documents the life histories of political agitators and other types of political psychopaths. It goes through their childhood, their upbringing, and their, their careers to see how they got to where they became the agitators that they were. It's a pretty cool book. That's really interesting. I mean, I I would say in this day and age, most of these people came from privileged environments where they went to Ivy League schools or were connected to those people. I mean, when you when you peel the onion, so many of them have that kind of pedigree. It's you begin to smell a rat. But yeah. maybe maybe like the way Indivisible studies the Tea Party, mm-hmm. maybe these created persons were were designed according to lessons learned from organic agitators. Yeah, yeah. It says, The essential mark of the agitator is the high value which he places on the emotional response of the public. Whether he attacks or defends social institutions is a secondary matter. He idealizes the magnitude of the desirable social changes which are capable of being produced by a specific line of social action. We may say that an agitator is one who exaggerates the difference between 
one rather desirable social policy, and another, much as the lover, is one who grossly exaggerates the difference between one woman and another. They are united in expecting much good to come from single acts of innovation. The agitator easily infers that he who disagrees with him is in communion with the devil, and that the the opponents show bad faith or timidity. Agitators are notoriously contentious and undisciplined. Many reforming ships are manned by mutineers. The agitator is willing to subordinate personal considerations to superior claims of principle. Children may suffer while their father and mother are away battling for the cause, but the righteous will not cleave to their families when the field is ripe for the harvest. Ever on alert for pernicious intrusions of private interest into public affairs, the agitator sees unworthy motives where others see just claims of friendship. Believing in direct emotional responses from the public, the agitator trusts in mass appeals and general principles. Their consciousness troubles them unless they have periodic orgies of moral fervor. Relying on the magic of rhetoric, they conjure away obstacles with ritualistic repetition of principles. That's just a taste of psychopathy and politics by Harold Laswell. <laughs> I think a lot of that rings very true to the left and the right. Yes, I do. I do question if any of these people are really sincere in in that fervor. I think I think they. I mean, it's hard for me to apply that to people like AOC or Stacey Abrams who kind of morph over time into different persona, even though they have a background that makes it pretty clear that they're capable of sober, rational analysis, education, understanding processes, working systems. They are true believers in the hierarchy and the structure, except for that it's at a super high level, like a global level. And that's what they're working towards. They're trying to tear down this stuff, but not because they don't believe in it, but because they want to supersede it. But that emotionalism, I think, is more of a talent than a passion. That book was written like in the 50s or 60s, by the way. So it's- Yeah, yeah, no, I know. And it's good. I get it. I, I, there was a lot there. We'd have to Oh, yeah, that. yeah, I know. I was just putting it out there. People can go back and listen to yeah, all yeah. that again if you so, want. But I, I feel like... There's probably a lot to it that actually analyzes the ones who have been successful, and we can't really look at the ones from the past and see what their background. But if you look at Trotsky, Trotsky and Lenin, very kind of created persons, whereas Hitler, I think, was probably uh, kind of selected in a way, like where if you, I mean, I think that it, it was more like, uh, outside influences wanted to, exactly as we do, enhance dysfunctional subcultures, and that's how they got this kind of volunteer who was, who, you know, there's no reason to think he wasn't organic, but they created the environment for him to flourish. You could even keep people away and allow that to happen. And they, they look at that. I mean, he used to practice, and he, they he used to take pictures of himself practicing m- moves for speeches. Hitler? Yes. Yeah, I believe so a lot of them did that. It's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so they they know what they're do. doing. Yeah. They know what they're doing, and I think I, I would. The only question I would say is, from Laswell's perspective, if he's looking backwards, is he looking at? Is he trying to analyze 
the characteristics of these organic movers or is he is he trying to isolate effective techniques? I think he's probably a little bit of both, but he definitely focuses heavily on techniques in a lot of his work. You said something a second ago, the practicing that Hitler and Churchill and all of them do is they say in public speaking in oratory that they often advise to start with the emotional response, the reaction, this very, very, very specific reaction that you want the audience to have, and then you build everything around that goal. So they're starting with that emotional absolutely, reaction. Absolutely, yes. I, I can see that. I think that's – you're absolutely right. Like I, you can see that with everything, and some people can't do it. Like – that's why they had that fake audience for Stacey Abrams when she was given the like rebuttal speech after the State of the Union address. Yeah. They she's just I just don't think she gets that emotionalism across. And they used to act like, oh, Obama's the greatest speaker in the world. He got better at it, but he got better at it because people loved him, not because he could just do that. Yeah, I think Stacey Abrams is actually very good at it. I think in that context, though, that the emotional reactions that they wanted from the crowd broadly would not have been what they wanted had she engaged in her her strength, which is speaking like she's to, speaking to a congregation in well, an that's African-American what, church. I think that she's her venue is probably a smaller live venue Yeah, where she can – like they would say this about Hillary, probably Obama too – where they could, they would actually change their dialectic depending on who they were talking to. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. And if if Stacey, if George is the most important place, my guess is Stacey Abrams really can deliver in Georgia because she can actually canvas. She can actually do it personally. She doesn't. It's not that national television thing that just didn't work for her. But she'll get better at it. But yeah, she she most definitely will. She's appearing on programs left and right as the number yeah, one. Yeah, and that's what she does. I mean, she's a person who's been trained, who gets trained, and she's that's why she was. She's the one because they see in her that she's super smart. She can probably remember a lot of stuff. I think that's actually a big part of how they select. Well, she probably, she's probably thinks. Yeah. You know, they say another thing, another criterion they select based on is arrogance, Yeah, is like ego. Well, there's so no that, shortage of it there. Yeah, so they, they think that they're the ones, and that makes them deliver with more authenticity because they believe in themselves. All right, let's get into these clips. This is a panel discussion from, I believe it's the Brookings Institution, and the panelists are discussing the extent of disinformation, its impact on democracy, and what can be done to prevent it and stop its spread. And the people who are involved are a guy named Richard Stingle. You might recall, we talked about mm-hmm. this earlier on the uh, Drive Time News Blast, and listeners might recall, months back there was a clip from the CFR of this guy, Richard Stingle, talking about how he used to work in the U.S. Uh, he, he was a former undersecretary for the public diplomacy and public affairs. He worked for the U.S. Department of State. And he's the author of Information Wars, How We Lost the Global Battle Against Disinformation and What We Could Do About It. So the clip that you might recall of him is when he was speaking about his time working in the government and how propaganda is a good thing. 
And that went around the alternative media circuit a lot, and people were using that to show that they are into propaganda because he kind of laughed it off. Well, this is the guy. He's back again talking about disinformation again with a few other people, and this is him in this first clip. It's kind of crazy that his book is called How We Lost the Information War. Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at something. I was just looking at Defense News it's a website. And yeah, it's I like that like website. Really good, yeah. So I was reading about, like, their initiatives. They're, like, they want to, like, merge their whatever warfare initiatives. And one of them was electromagnetic warfare. Mm -hmm. Another is information warfare, all that kind of stuff. And it's so deceptive or, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm completely crazy. But it's it's weird that they always couch this stuff in terms of defensiveness and any kind of offensiveness is just counter defensiveness. Yeah. They talk about that in this panel discussion The it's oh, always really? to counter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just read it and it's like, well, we need to counter all these things that Russia is doing. And you're thinking Russia is not rich enough <laughs> to be doing this stuff to be way maybe if they put all their money into it but to be way ahead of us and all this stuff that we're simply reacting all the time it, they wouldn't even they can't even say that with a straight face because they they would argue that you don't actually i mean they would argue that you could blow up buildings and kill innocent civilians if it mobilized people yeah to fight the good fight and the counter Offense is an offense. It's an offensive act, a counteroffense. They just call it a counteroffense. They preemptively act like a preemptive strike. Which is the very definition of immorality. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the very definition. Is uh, It's unprovoked aggression. That's what that is. All right. That's just what it is. Yeah, this like gives that. you a sense of this guy, and you're going to, some of these clips are going to drive you crazy. He's describing the problem of disinformation. Part of the other problem of disinformation is it's not just a supply problem, it's a demand problem. People want it. You know, confirmation bias means we seek out information that we agree with. You know, if you're likely to think that Hillary Clinton is running a child sex trafficking ring out of a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., you're likely to believe anything and seek out information that confirms that. That's a problem, and that's a human nature problem. You're likely to believe anything if you're likely to I know. believe. I think what he meant was you're likely to believe anything that supports that theory. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I, I definitely caught that. Well, he he talks later about where it's not. Actually, I'll find that one right now. Here, this. I think he just means you'll believe anything if you believe that. I heard him say that. Yeah. So maybe if he keeps going, he'll reiterate that. They're talking about the Russia campaign in 2016 here. Distinction between effective and sophisticated. What they did was effective. It wasn't sophisticated. I was a recipient of all this stuff from trolls. They can't even, I can't say the words that they said. They couldn't even spell them. The grammar was atrocious. They had terrible English. We looked at the handbook that the trolls would get when they went to the Internet Research Agency. It's laughable. But as someone said to me, a marketing guy said to me, you know the emails you get from the Nigerian prince who needs $20,000 to get out of prison and you're going to get $10 million? I said, yeah. And he said, and you know they're like filled with spelling errors and grammatical mistakes? And I said, yeah. He said, that's deliberate. Mm -hmm. Why? 
because if you respond to it, they know they've got a live wire. So <laughs> the, the stuff that the Russians did were for people, as I said before, who will believe these strange conspiracies people who, who don't, know, don't really know about the Oxford comma. So, <laughs> so they, they don't really care about it, and, and, and that's why it's effective. Monica, are you a strange conspiracy person who doesn't know about the Oxford comma? I definitely know about the Oxford comma, and that guy is what we call in my house a fart sniffer <laughs> from that South Park. Uh-huh. Remember? Yeah, he is. Clooney? He fits. He fits the bill well for that. Yeah, he's just a fart sniffer, man. His, it's just that's what he thinks of people who. <laughs> Believe in in conspiracy theories. The litmus theories. test for stupid is that they don't understand commas. He's right about the Nigerian thing that they send send that stuff to people to see what kind of standards that they have. And I'm a conspiracy theorist, and I've never in my life responded to one of those. And I doubt well, you have. How about either. the fact that he just espoused a conspiracy theory, like like two conspiracy theories right there, like Nigerians conspire with one that this there's a handbook for nigerian princes and there's a handbook for internet research agency hacks there's a handbook there's a handbook okay well he says there's a handbook so yeah have you do you know what the nigerian email prince thing is yeah yeah um i mean does it doesn't you don't think everybody knows i think most people probably know it's when somebody sends you an email it's a con. They say, like, they develop a relationship with you, and it's just like, if you can just send me a little bit of money, I'll pay you back more money, and then I'll write you a check. And they send the check, and then you cash the check. Uh, you send them money, and then they send you more money to be a check. But when you go to cash the check, the check has bounced, so you lose all of the money that you sent to them. Right. That's not a good description of it, but I think most people yeah, probably know no, it. No, it's is. stuff like that. And there's ones that, I mean, similar, that they'll be like, I'm. From a friend of yours, yeah, that says I'm on vacation in Nigeria or whatever, and I lost everything. Can you send me money? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's a better way to put it. Definitely. But I didn't know that it was on purpose. You didn't know what? I didn't know that it was on that they purposely make it kind of easy to detect to see. I didn't what know that either. With. But that that when I looked into that, it. that's actually that's that makes sense. Um, but that's what the Russian propaganda looked like, he said. And he just uses this as a way to characterize everybody who buys into conspiracy theories. And he's talking about second. Trump mostly. He's mostly know, talking about Trump but, supporters. But but that doesn't make sense because they don't need you to respond. They're not just targeting idiots. They They could make it more sophisticated and it would be more effective because they don't. There's no cost to disseminating it broadly. You know what I'm saying? If they send out something, a Facebook ad that has misspellings in it that only idiots would believe, that doesn't get them more adherence than if they sent out something that was normal that idiots would believe because of the content and non-idiots would believe because of the grammar. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I, for, for uh, speed... You can send out a mass email to people that's littered with errors. That I mean, you look at some of these things and you automatically. He's, no, he's saying it's intentional. No, he it, said the yeah. errors are intentional. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think they are. I understand why they would be intentional for the Nigerian prince. Yes, for but the why would prince, they be yes. intentional for a Facebook ad? Oh, 
I don't know about that. Yeah, you're right. You might. You're I mean, right that about just, that. That yeah. doesn't make sense. He wants to classify conspiracy theorists as stupid and dangerous. It's a theme that he's carrying on. Who should not vote? Who should not do a lot of things, according to this guy. Yes, who so should not vote. So if you click vote, on the not... dumb ad, it's his litmus test. If yes. you click on the dumb ad, <laughs> you need yes. to not vote. Yes, yes, now we're, yes. So here he, you're going to like this one, because you've talked about this one. Or you're going to be triggered by it, because you've talked about <laughs> this say, a lot. Your idea of me liking it is my idea of me hating yeah, it. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> the thing that has exponentially increased is user-generated content. Remember, the biggest platform in the world, in the history of the world, is all created by, by content that we put on it, not professional journalists. It's not vetted. I mean, and so that has, is the thing that has exponentially increased. And because it is created by regular folks and isn't professional content, the possibility for disinformation, misinformation, anything wrong is, is that much higher. And oh my gosh. And we will chat about it, is the fact <laughs> is that the law... The Communications Indecency Act that created all these platforms does give primacy to third-party content and it doesn't give them any liability for publishing false content if it's put on by a third-party person as opposed to a professional journalist like we all are or were. So what do you think about that clip? The internet drew people in to put their third-party content out, as you said, and now they want to get rid of all those people who they right. drew in. Yes, I've a always said that. The internet was limited hangout. They must absolutely have a plan to to claw it back. And they did have a plan. I figured this out a while back. I mentioned it once, but it's very significant. CISPA and SOPA were their ways of clawing the internet back. There were laws they were going to pass, and it did not work. They shut down the internet. Absolutely, the internet was too powerful already. The grassroots internet was too powerful, and they could not pass the surveillance and censorship stuff that they wanted to pass, and they mu that must have been their plan A. So then they went to plan B, which is this censorship by alleged private entities, Google, Twitter, whatever. They have to get rid of anything that competes with those guys. Then they also have false flag operations that create this idea that this kind of um, freedom on the internet actually costs people lives because it radicalizes Muslims or it interrupts our elections and becomes a public, you know, has to be regulated for that reason. That All of this came from the fact that CISPA and SOPA were stopped. So you're right, and they are clawing it back, and this is how they're doing it, and there's a full court press from many directions to try to get this done, and it's working, and Parkland was the dividing line, the watershed moment when it actually happened. But what enrages me is that he suggests that having user-generated content makes it more likely yeah. to be exploited or hacked or disinformation or whatever. The, the way it actually works is that all that stuff competes with each other, negates, blah, blah, blah. It's when there is a seat of power, a single seat of power, that you can go in there and take it over. And use it for ill. And, they, and that's how it is for elections, too. They say it is absolutely crystal clear that a centralized voting mechanism is able to be hacked, whereas our current decentralized system absolutely cannot be hacked. That's why it was a Russian influence campaign and not an actual hacking campaign, because it wouldn't be plausible to say that. Yeah. 
and uh, and they and to decentralize it. I I think of an example, whether it's true or not. I I always thought it was true. I respect Murray Rothbard, of course, and but he's the only source I have for it, and I've never been able to verify it. But his idea was that Ireland, because it was, it had a bunch of little tribal guys or pirates or whatever they were that were strong, powerful individuals who had little areas of influence. And so when the English kept coming over and over and over again, or whatever outsiders came, even Vikings, Spanish, I don't know what, over and over again to take over, they couldn't because there, it was like worms through their fingers. There was no, no apparatus for central control, central dissemination, central power to take over. So they just couldn't. They they you have to build the structure. That again reminds me of the Rosa Quar thing, which I was talking about today on Drive Time News Blast, or it will be yesterday by the time this comes out. That she says that the systems have to be I always thought of the systems as merging, as the cogs in a wheel going together. And that is true. But she says not I always thought they have to be going the same speed, slow down, speed up, whatever. She was saying they have to be the same. The systems have to be the same. And then the power can just flow through it without stopping. You can take one powerful apparatus at the top and it and it affects every place on earth at once. And that's what happens when you control this information, especially since people like him know darn well you need to put different brands on the same information to make it look like it's diverse because people are already aware of that. They're already wary of that. That's why there's such a thing as gray propaganda and black propaganda. Yeah. Here he goes a little bit more in detail about what the social media platforms need to do to help solve this problem. They have to make a good faith effort to take down demonstrably false content, as Paul talks about. I would argue hate speech, speech that leads to violence, those things, there's no excuse for that. Even if it's framed as political speech, that should just be off, and they should be liable if they don't take it off. So let's do an example. Let's talk about, I don't know, the famous example that came up was the video of Nancy Pelosi slowed down, so it looked like she was slurring her speech and drunk. So you can make the argument that's demonstrably false, or you can make the argument it was satire. Satire's got to be a protected form of speech. What do you guys think? You take that down? Okay, before they answer... That Pelosi video was clearly edited and slowed down and, like, cut together. This was not a deep fake. This was not— It didn't fool anybody. It might have fooled people who didn't pay any attention to it. It might be kind of like that—what he's talking about with the Nigerian letter where it's uh, a poor man's uh, edit just to see what people will believe. Mm -hmm. But anybody who knows anything about video— it's clear. It was clearly like a meme almost. They were just making fun of Pelosi. And there's right. videos like that all over the internet that are just satire. So I think you know what their answer will probably be. But And beyond. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is if that's what your standard is, then are you really going to litigate for your video to say, well, that's not what it was or it was real or it's political speech? They, In my cases of being censored on the internet, no one ever answered my appeals. Nobody ever gave me a reason for it, and nobody answered when I objected. Was the video of Nancy Pelosi slowed down, so it looked like she was slurring her speech and drunk. So you can make the argument that's demonstrably false, 
Or you can make the argument it was satire. Satire has got to be a protected form of speech. What do you guys think? You take that down? You were Mark Zuckerberg? You knocked that off the internet? I, well, I, wanna, I, I say yes. I say yes. I mean, and I think also one of the things that they did, so they slugged it, or slugged is a journalism word. They had a, you know, a Chiron saying this is not true content or this is manipulated content. One of the things that influences all of this, and I write a little bit about it in my book, are these cognitive biases. And there's a terrific dissertation, and I forget the, the young woman's name who wrote it, about, about belief echoes, she called it, which is that this idea that if you see something false, even if you then immediately are told that it's false and even are persuaded that it's false, it creates a belief echo in your head that, you, that never gets erased. So to me, part of the problem of you know, putting a caption under the Nancy Pelosi video is that you can't unring the bell. You can't unsee that. That stays in your brain. It should not, it should not have been on the platform at all. So you would knock Andy Borowitz off the platform too? I mean, political satire, making fun of things that, pretending that Trump said things that he didn't say? Because there could be belief echoes with that, even though it's slugged as humor. You're trying to trick me now, Nick. I'm just trying to get some of the complexities here. Okay, so he never answers that legitimate question. Do you know what I have written down on my piece of paper here? What if it was Trump as a baby? Right. Yeah. He never answers that legitimate question is asked. He just said, you're trying to trick me. And if we're using the standard that he just laid out, he's correct yes. in the headline thing. I talk about this a lot. They use that headline because they know that's all people read. Yeah, belief echo. It's a real proven thing. Yeah. Yep. So every headline on CNN and New York Times, probably about 90 percent of them would have to be – those articles would have to be completely scrubbed if we're going by that standard. He shows what the problem is right there. The problem is it's only going to take Nancy Pelosi's parodies off and not Trump's. That's exactly what it is, and he showed his hand when he laughed off that legitimate question that this yeah, guy Yeah, I mean asked. there's no, no question at all that that's what it's there for, and the reason they're pressuring social media to do it is that there is no recourse, and that's why social media exists. That's why Google exists. That's why the United States government established it. Shortly after that, the moderator— asked a, a good question about man you're really this, this clip is gonna you, you gotta brace yourself <laughs> i gotta have a cocktail they talk about the 2016 election and the quote russian interference that happened and then the moderator goes on to say well 2018 happened and we didn't really we didn't really see any any interference outside of he gives one example and I want you to pay close attention to his example and to the response that is given to his example. So we're kind of ragging on the platforms right now and talking about some of the problems they have. 2016, obviously lots of problems. We had a 2018 election, and as far as I can tell, wasn't a whole lot of misinformation. The only thing that I read about was a bunch of Democrats running a test to try to, take, to criticize Roy Moore in Alabama. Right? We had very different disinformation problems. So – Maybe it's under control. Maybe we're over-indexing on 2016. Maybe, but I don't think we should take the risk that that's the case. Um, you're absolutely right that the, the Russians' uh, level of interference was negligible immediately around the time of the election. We don't know exactly why that is. The keeping their powder dry for 2020, a much more important uh, engagement, perhaps. Monica, did you notice that that went from the Democrats to the Russians in the answer? <laughs> I was I'm so infuriated 
<laughs> by the first part of that, you really should have given me a pause because you want to hear it again. I just want to like take the headphones off and walk around. Like I want to give myself a little time out, get some fresh air. <laughs> well, if you didn't capture the second half of it, I uh, yeah, let's let's do it again. So we're kind of ragging on the platforms right now and talking about some of the problems they have. 2016, obviously lots of problems. We had a 2018 election, and as far as I can tell, wasn't a whole lot of misinformation. The only thing that I read about was a bunch of Democrats running a test to try to take, to criticize Roy Moore in Alabama, right? We had very different Stop. misinformation. People need to understand. Yeah. Tell people what, <laughs> tell people what this is so they can feel the impact of this guy's answer to this. Yeah, okay. So New Knowledge, which is the research organization that wrote the the report on Russian bots for the Senate, was found to have and admitted a whistleblower. A lot of people got implicated. Nobody got in trouble that they attacked Roy Moore in his election bid to take Jeff Sessions' seat in Alabama. Seat Sessions won by 95% of the vote that that they said they were using Russian bot tactics. They they gave him a bunch of fake Twitter followers to make it look like he was followed by Russia. They encouraged a um a another Republican or conservative or whatever to get in there and split the ticket away from him as like a third party candidate uh, on the internet on Facebook, which was fraudulent. They perpetuated the rumors the accusations that he was into young girls, underage girls, all of those things actually cost him the election. It was a very tight race. They put, it is, some estimates are in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, Reed Hoffman contributed to it, the guy behind LinkedIn. There were many, many high-ranking people involved in this. They cost him that election. And, the explanation was accepted that they did it as a test and it had no impact, even though the things they impacted were the very things that cost him this very tight election. And even beyond that, I believe there were voting irregularities. He might have won even despite all that. That's how close it was. And in the documents that were released, they were bragging about having affect the election and the CEO of the company, New Knowledge. Now, these are all Democrats pretending to be Russians, right? At the time of the election, there was all these mainstream stories about how Russian bots and Russian propaganda is trying to interfere in the Alabama election in favor of Roy Moore. So there was major stories about this, blaming it on the Russians, and it turned out to be Democrats that were doing it. And the CEO of New Knowledge had his Facebook page suspended for distributing Fake news. The guy who wrote the Senate intelligence report on Russian right. interference had his Facebook page suspended because and he is continuing to be employed in those capacities. They are still the main source, right? New York so, Times cites this guy regularly. Yeah, all the time. So the first part of this question, I, I was shocked that this moderator I mean, actually that guy brought just this shrugged up. Shrugged it off. The only the only thing was that Democrats, uh fraudulently overturned an election in Alabama against a, I mean, a child molester. Like that's his, the way he said that was like, but who cares? Cause he was a child molester, but the, he didn't say that, but that's exactly the tone of voice. I mean, he looked, eh, 
I yeah. think we've got this under control. Yeah. But he's not a child molester. That came from Democrat disinformation agents. Well, the second half of the, the answer, the response it's given, recharacterizes it even more. Nation problem. So maybe it's under control. Maybe we're over-indexing on 2016. Maybe, but I don't think we should take the risk that that's the case. Um, you're absolutely right that the, the Russians' uh, level of interference was negligible immediately around the time of the election. The Russians' level of interference is negligible. Well, he did. That was the guy's initial premise. Right. The Democrats weren't But negligible. he didn't address that. that but right, that makes right. it seem like that. Right. Was, he just ignores that and says, oh, the Russians was negligible as though it was the Russians interfering in Alabama. Yeah, that it is it, surprising that he brought that up, but it's just a shocking case of, I mean, some people should have gone to jail for that. Absolutely. They should have a new election because of that. It's kind of like when Sammy Sosa corked his bat. Remember that? Of course you remember yeah. that. I just, I remember thinking he should be thrown out of the league forever. And the answer was, but, you know, he's too good. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Well, you got to keep letting you know? do those steroids in. Wasn't that the other guy at the same time? Mark McGuire? Yeah. That's yeah. a little different. I mean, I didn't. I'm. I think they should be able to do them if they want. But that's just like a rule that could go either way. Cheating is, you know, the other one's clear cheating, and and it's baseball. You know yeah. what I mean? You should get thrown out for cheating. My daughter faced a team that got that cheated, and I. It was crystal clear, and I mean, it was undeniable. And I wrote to that league, and. The person I wrote to is pretty high up. Wrote back to me, it's like, I'm shocked at this. I let me. Do you mind if I pursue it? If I forward your email, blah blah blah. And uh, and I never heard from her. I said, fine, fine. We interacted, whatever. I never heard from her again. And I asked her repeatedly to follow up on it, and she just didn't say anything. I mean, even at the lowest levels, yeah, that stuff is. They just aren't gonna. They don't want to deal uh, with it, I think. I don't know. I mean, they just let they allow cheating if it if it's if it's what they want. You know, I just I'm just there's yeah, no for integrity entertainment they, value and yeah, right. Or whatever. I really don't even win. know what that whole thing was about, but like the fact that there's cheating from top to bottom in a game that really all right, it's money, but it's not power. And here the Democrats act like they're, you know, the impeachment thing is all about integrity. It's laughable. No, yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's laughable. Cheating is the and, standard with these people. And this double standard that this guy is laying out it demonstrates from top to bottom why his proposed solutions will not work. They're simply self-serving because he's confident his side will remain in control of those outlets. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here he he makes a similar comment. He brings up the propaganda comment that he got trolled about a few months back here. So Amazon has this thing where they pay tons of people, some of whom work for Amazon, and they pay them to tweet what an amazing place it is to work at Amazon, and they give them scripts, right? And so there's this kind of this steady flow of it's not false. These people may genuinely like to work for Amazon, particularly since they're being paid to tweet. And so they tweet out, but just kind of garbage. Should the U.S. pay people to tweet out? positive things about U.S. image and tweet the Star Spangled Banner in Russia. But that's no, a little different. No. I mean, the idea of someone you know, tweeting that the, the United States is great and its enemies are, are not great. Um, and doesn't the State Department set up projects and programs that essentially do that? 
Well, once upon a time, the U.S. Information Agency, which was then folded into the State Department, did create what I would call positive propaganda about the U.S. I was dinged here on another panel a couple of years ago for saying that there's, that there's such a thing as good propaganda as well as negative propaganda. I don't think propaganda just is, is automatically a terrible thing and that nations do practice it, so all those trolls will get upset again. But, but, but we don't really do what USIA used to do anymore, you know, in, in terms of, you know, Frank Capra, why we fight, and, and documentaries about great black athletes and things like that. I mean, all of which was true content. It just was used uh, to give people a better picture of, of, of the United States. And I always argued when I was in government that we do that already. I think U.S. media, I, I would always want to make people around the world be able to see U.S. media and ha not only what we say about ourselves that's good, but what we say about ourselves that's critical. So people see that we have an open press and what, what that's like. I think that sends a great message. Got a lot for you, buddy. Let me hear it. Okay. Uh, first of all, yes, Radio Free America, Voice of America, it's all there. Um, I had, when we did the Awan, the, what did we do with the tinfoil hat guys? Awan Brothers? Awan Brothers. Which, yeah. by the way, not to go off track, apparently his YouTube page got taken down today. It's really? a tinfoil hat, Sam Triple. Why? YouTube updated their terms of yes. service, yeah. leaving them wiggle room to take down pages that they deemed to not be commercially viable. But his page was commercially, commercially viable. viable. Yeah. Wow, I did see that they were doing that. I retweeted that those changes in YouTube, but the first time they took me down, I just stopped investing in YouTube because I knew... What was coming? These are changes but, are going into effect in December, though, so I'm not sure oh. what it's related to. Well, I tweeted out like the like what what they were. I didn't really pay attention to them because I don't use YouTube anymore for that reason. But that's insane and super screwed up. And there's so much reliance when you build your business on the platform. That's what. Uh, that's really a bummer. I feel bad. Okay, so when we did that show for them, with them. There was one guy that they were in league with, a doctor, who bailed them out or bought their used car lot or whatever. The Awan brothers were the ones who were in the – they were doing some screwy stuff on the servers or the internet or whatever for the DNC, but they worked inside the government proper – and they had like all their family members work there and they had too much access. There was something going on and it never got fully resolved. But I pulled on every damn thread I bought. There was a book written on it. I bought it. I pulled all those threads. And the one thread that I, the only, the one thing that I was like, hmm, the doctor that they were involved with did have some like military intelligence or, oh, he had been uh, appointed right after we invaded Iraq to kind of, I don't know, deal with health problems or normalize medical treatment or something there in Iraq, like in the interim government. But when I looked for this guy's name, I found it in a Voice of America article about Iraq from way back then, 15 years ago or so, where it just cited him as a local doctor here in Iraq is complaining about inventory of bandages or something like that. So here was a guy who worked for them 
who worked for was installed by the U.S. government into the government of Iraq. But before that happened, I believe, and he was involved in all these things. He wasn't just they didn't just find him this way. He was a guy who was involved. And then I realized that these these quotes from people are bull and you get them from foreign countries. This man on the ground, this poor, impoverished person speaks perfect damn English, you know, (laughs) So Voice of America, Radio Free America are these propaganda outlets that he's talking about, USIA, which James Clapper wants USIA on steroids where they implant this white propaganda, it's called, into other countries. White propaganda is when they know it's coming from America, but it's still meant to propagate a particular viewpoint. Tucker Carlson's dad ran USIA for a while, or Radio Free America, one of those propaganda arms. So got to wonder where Tucker Carlson comes from. And or we know where he comes from. I would I would say that guy is not those aren't trolls. They're not trolls that are annoyed with him for for encouraging propaganda. They're American taxpayers who do not like paying for what really is their own deception. No, 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 no. They're just dumb conspiranoids who get those Nigerian emails with all the misspellings and they just they just reply to all of them and send all their money away. Who who should pay taxes because that is their penalty for being so stupid, but they should not be allowed to vote because they're too stupid. And then and their information uh, should be removed from the Internet if they post anything. Right. Right. And uh, and the most important part of what he said came at the very end where he said, we don't want to just propagate positive stuff. We want to propagate critical stuff, too. To give it credibility. Absolutely. And in these next two And that, clips, is, that is why yeah. I am on terrestrial radio, in my opinion. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, I have this WSB show. I only do it on the weekends. I do not move the dial. The, I know because I've tried to move the dial. And one time when I filled in during the week where I had 10 times the audience, I did move the dial and stopped the no-knock raid. I'm not saying I did it, but I'm pretty sure that Catherine... Um, the lawyer who came on my show and told people to be to activate, they did. Yeah, they stopped it. And um, my point is just I, I always wonder why I'm there. And my boss loves me. He wants me there. He wants me to be on every day. Like I, you know, he just. But it just never seems to happen. And I wonder why I'm there at all. And I think it's to uh, give credibility to to the platform and they don't have to tell my boss that there's no hope for me you know he doesn't know it but 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 when it starts button up against that ceiling i think it just never goes anywhere i mean i'm not like lamenting i'm just trying to figure out why they let me say whatever i want yeah on the radio and i think and i and i do not actually make an impact the way the people who are on during the week make the impact and i think that gives them a ton of credibility other hosts can like say things that get closer to what i'm saying but there nobody's really going to just say i85 collapse was on purpose yeah i know no <laughs> one's know? saying that i, I was which is what you we said were, yeah. <laughs> and then when i went back like people were like yeah i think you made a good point i'm like okay but why didn't anybody else like say that after it was clear that there was a good possibility that you laid out a lot of evidence for thinking that there was an operation like that actually going on? Yeah, vigilant guard operation going on. I think he's saying something 
similar to that, that what you're saying in this clip? Well, actually, one of the proposals I have is about is about journalism, uh, digital journalism being way, way, way more transparent, right? So when when in the day when we did stories, we did interviews, we did research, we talked to people, it was fact-checked, we wrote an outline. I think all of that, you should be able to link to that. The, you write the story in the New York Times, there's a link to here's my interview with the National Security Advisor. Here are the photographs we took that we didn't use. Here's the research I did, this chapter from this great new book by Rick Stengel. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, that, 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 and would every reader look at that? No, but it would, it would show the kind of, uh, how the building is created, and it would create more confidence in the result. So that was really interesting to me because it reminded me of what's going on right now with the release of all these transcripts, just overwhelming amount of transcripts, these open hearings, an overwhelming amount of them, just an overwhelming amount of information everywhere being released about things to it. In some cases, there are legitimate like facts out there. Like if you went through a lot of this information and you did it without being uh, in an emotional fervor, you would see what's really going on. But he said it right there. They know that people aren't going to look at it. They can put truth out there. And I think this Biden thing, this impeachment thing is proving this. You can put truth out there that can be discovered. But even if it's out there, they don't have to worry about people finding it or being affected by it. Because they're not going to look at it, or they've already made up their minds. I have two things to say about that. Um, hold on. Got to write down the second thing so I don't forget. When, like in the report from Iron Mountain and other stuff like that, they actually say explicitly in the introduction of that, that it's okay to publish this. It's not even top secret. We didn't even do this incredibly cynical thing, which it was stylized for the book, but it's it's how they operate from what various witnesses have said. That it doesn't even matter, like this guy was at liberty to write the book because they don't even make it confidential or secret or anything. People don't read. They will accept it. So it's actually almost better to tell them because they'll accept it. They're not going to do anything about it. Yeah even if they're aware of it. And then, but with the, first of all, the guy, he says that, like, is he suggesting that the New York Times actually is doing that right now? Is that what he's claiming? Doing what specifically? Like, linking to interviews and unused photos and stuff. No, he's not. He's saying that, that that's what... They're not even there. linking to... Sources that aren't them. They're yeah, not doing, yeah. you know what I mean? They're not doing it's primary circular, research. Yeah. Yet, you know, they'll say, I cannot tell you how many articles I have to go through to be able to click through to find the texts, the full text, executive orders, speeches that supposedly Trump made. You know what I mean? Like, you, if they don't want you to know it, and you can click and click and click, and sometimes. You get nowhere. It is just a circle. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not usually a circle, but it'll end up at like Merriam Webster and say, you know, a text is when you type into a phone like that. <laughs> yeah. That happens. And, but I used to take the time to link everything. I wouldn't write anything down 
when I wrote articles, which I kind of stopped writing after WordPress purged me, but I would always put everything in there. I would, because it's so much easier than having to explain yourself, but they never have to explain themselves. And then you have people like John McCain, uh, before he died, obviously, saying like, oh, I read about the 12 Intel sources in the New York Times this morning. And then I went to the New York Times and there was no good source for that. Yeah, and the people in this sources. impeachment hearing are citing the New York Times and other mainstream well, outlets. Well, that's what Mueller did. So, I, so the couple of other things I want to say about that is that in the Mueller report, there, there were two main sources. I would say at least 80%, if not 100%. Of the sources, the footnotes were one of two things. Mainstream media, which they apologize for. They say, well, it was in common knowledge. It's the media itself that was important because it showed who knew what when, which is at the heart of this impeachment thing, too. There was a Politico article that supposedly told Ukraine that their aid was on hold. Now, that perhaps was a guarded secret. You know, yeah. that was a national security risk. They sh- maybe should have kept their mouth shut. But with Mueller and then the 302 reports, which have no bearing, uh, they, they are uh, unvalidatable. Like, you can't, you can only, I actually came upon that in this impeachment investigation, too. The 302 report is when an FBI agent writes down his recollection of an interview at any time after the interview. It could be a week, it could be two months. It doesn't matter. You don't get a chance to look at it. You didn't write it down yourself. You didn't know he was writing it down. It has, to me, a great, big, big problems. But in the impeachment thing, this is big. I mean, the what what Biden and those guys were up to, if it were to come out, I mean, they should be prosecuted. And if they're, and I'm sure they won't be, but I also think that Trump is meant to win. I think he's yeah. got jobs to do, like for the financial sector, um, you know, or whatever, to like allow the economy to collapse or um, to bring in a North American union or to start war with Iran. Like he's got big, a big job to do. He's a scapegoat. They're going to have him do all these bad things and just blame it all on him. And they could say that although the country hates him and wants a Democrat, the impeachment thing backfired. Yeah. And because Biden was such a bad character, such a bad candidate, and he had all this taint, he that that's why the Democrats lost. And then you can bicker about whether the Democrats were stupid or the Republicans were bad or Trump got his way or whatever. But this idea that people don't want that information. I want that information. I'm the one. And I'm going to tell people about it as a user content on the internet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got value and it's verifiable. So they would shut me up because they don't like it. They shut me up for something I said that was true. Yeah. Two things that I said were true. And then they said what you said weeks later when it was okay to out the guy from uh, the sheriff. Yeah, sheriff Israel. Israel for all the thing, all his. I knew they were still making him a hero, and I was like, that guy's after your guns. He worked at the schools. Kids went to school with that kid, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever. But uh, I'm just saying they. Yes, the New York Times should do that, and and I should do it too, and I do do it, and even when I do do it, I get taken down, and they never do it, 
and the the touchstone for okay news is authority, authority, authority. It's tautological. It's circular. It's where this guy says, well, we can't say it about Nancy Pelosi because she's good. We can't say it about Trump because he's bad. I mean, it's just, it is not an okay. It's, it is the problem with what he's suggesting is he himself. Yeah. You know? Okay. I have three more clips before we got to get out of here. I know we've just, we're so overextended with all the extra content. <laughs> right. My name is Aaron Mertz. I direct the Aspen Institute Science and Society Program. Oh, a lot of the, the examples you gave came from very large entities, governments, major corporations, often for quite nefarious aims. I'm thinking about individuals who might have ostensibly good intentions, parents who want the best for their children, but then who are propagating false information about things like vaccines. How do you counteract that kind of disinformation that's coming from individuals who then can band together, form these groups, and then potentially even lobby governments to change policy? I think you've just put your finger on one of the real, the real you know, radioactive things about this whole discussion. How far, how far do you go from, from vaccines, which we don't agree with, to a form of religion we don't agree with? Let's, let's talk about Christian scientists. Everybody, would you like to ban that from, from the, the Internet? I mean, that's, you've just put your finger on the third rail. Yes, he did, and at least she didn't go along with what he said. But that question of how are we going to get rid of people who are anti-vaxxers and they're the people they associate with, the fact that that's being brought up for discussion is – I mean that's – that goes along with what you said a while. They brought people into the internet, and now they're trying to scrape them off. It's extremely disturbing for a couple of reasons. It goes back to the Nancy Pelosi thing. Vaccine companies that make vaccines, vaccines themselves, they are insulated from real open court litigation. The kind of stuff that gets pregnancy, like all pregnancy drugs taken off the market because just the cost of the litigation alone, whether you win or lose, can bring a small company to its knees. But that is the answer. And the same thing with Nancy Pelosi. The answer for her is defamation. The answer isn't regulation and prior restraint. This is not, that's not how our system works. Our system is not a top-down statutory system. Our system is, is free speech. And if you're, and people are like, well, would you cry fire in a crowded theater? That is not protected. So when they had that church that, uh, that Baptist church that is so controversial intentionally inflicting emotional distress on the family of a gay soldier who was being buried. The court stopped the family from suing them for intentional infliction of emotional distress, Westboro Baptist church. And that was wrong. They have the right that you cannot stop them from speaking, but you can deter future people from harming others with their speech according to the damage that it causes. Yeah. So, so take, take, if the, the reason that people are not confident that vaccines are harmless and have this debate is rational and justified because fundamental law has been violated. The fundamental law that would solve the problem and answer the question. So, they're never looking at the fact that that they're creating this problem, not them in particular, but people that the system is working against itself 
and that the answer is to restore fundamental law. And it's it's never to regulate, in my opinion. It's never to regulate. Well, he's got a different opinion on the answer. And by the way, I got out of my uh, appointment, so I have no end time. Okay, okay. All right, we can go a little bit longer then. Do you want to hear what one of his solutions to that is? Because the First Amendment, you know, the government can't do it, but he'll tell you who can. Platforms have their own constitutions. They're called terms of service agreements. They, are not, they don't have to abide by the First Amendment as private companies. Those need to be much stricter about content closer to what the, what the EU regards as hate speech and other, uh, other uh, countries do. There's a phrase called dangerous speech, which is speech that indirectly leads to violence. I think we have to be stricter about that. And, and, I, and, 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 and the platforms can do that because they are private entities. So relying on the platform. Are you trying to give me an aneurysm? You are. I'm telling you, these clips are unbelievable. I'm enraged because they're not, they're there. They're fake private flat. This all goes to that, that if these companies hadn't been established, fostered, protected by, or the, the, even the tech that comes out of the defense department, they created this. They created the internet. They created the internet, and then they drove and corralled. They drove all all political interaction onto it, and then they corralled it, fenced it off, and they put it on their own, the platforms that they themselves created and protect. And now I, I, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, there is a crisis in this public-private scam, and it's not just in building roads or water treatment facilities. It's it's this where the government wants to circumvent the Bill of Rights by creating private entities that they hand mandates to and they finance and they develop and they protect and then they use those against us to do exactly what the Bill of Rights was written to keep them from doing, which is this stuff. And, uh, and I'll also tell you that thing about the terms of service. The terms of service change. And and that's what's probably happened in the tinfoil hat guys. And they don't answer to the terms of service. There's no recourse with the terms of service, but you have this reliance. So you build up on it, and then you lose your value, which is a deterrent for anyone to ever build up. I They really were absolutely effective in neutralizing my online presence. They really were, and they meant to be. And I was just thinking today, I was just thinking about cultural norms and the importance of them uh, or the, the, yeah, the importance of them, whether I like them or not, whether I like some or don't like some or whatever, they're really, really important. And, and it's because they tell you what to expect from each other. And if you violate those norms, you're sending a signal to somebody. So if you have a multicultural kind of community where people are really still living in, they've kind of transplanted a culture that's foreign to you and you interact with those people, there's a big chance of misunderstanding and you really don't know if he's deliberately trying to insult you, in which case you should be insulted, or he's like, he lies a little bit so he's also going to cheat and steal. Like, you don't know, you can't predict it. It makes the cost of interacting with that person very high. You're actually probably better off 
knowing the rules of the game, even if they're kind of unfair. Yeah. You know, that reliance on and clarity and foreseeability is of paramount importance for for uh, not having conflict or being able to function economically, socially. The terms of service change. And what they do, I think what they did, like for me, is they I put up that picture of Noah Posner saying, the BBC is reporting that this kid, a victim of Sandy Hook, was a victim of Pakistan's school massacre and had a different name. The BBC, what the hell? You know, I didn't say it. Yeah. The BBC said it, and I reported on it. And then WordPress said, leave it there because we protect you. And then they took me down. And the, the difference, took- yeah, the difference yeah. is that the BBC, the way that they talk in this panel, would be one of those trusted authorities that can print that stuff right and they were the ones who should be they were they are the ones who should be sued and then when you had the MAGA hat kids actually suing the right people the Washington Post the judge threw it out so so at all levels here somebody's speech is being censored by others with or without the proper authority or with misplaced authority or self whatever who have these tremendous biases. And I say that about Cosby and Lori Lachlan. I think these people are taken out. And even like Martin Shkreli, Martha Stewart, um, Leona Helmsley, like people who, Martin Shkreli is the guy who went to jail for, it's a long story, but at the hedge fund, he did a hedge fund, he did biotech, whatever, uh, pharmaceuticals, and he raised the price tremendously on a drug that had been out there for a long time, and he mouthed off about it. And when people said you can't do it, he mouthed off some more. He exercised free speech knowing that he wasn't doing anything illegal, and they came after him. They confused the jury. He's going to jail. They won't look at. He's in jail. The Supreme Court wouldn't hear the appeal. It was a very confusing case, but to me, the lesson is you don't fight back. You don't mouth off. Martha Stewart never would have went to jail, gone to jail, neither of Leona Helmsley, if they hadn't told the government agents who came to talk to them that they didn't count. They said to the government agents, basically, I don't need to answer to you, plebe. And that was it. Sorry, I don't need <laughs> that. That. A, that was my alarm, but I don't princess? have to go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, so there's a couple of different messages here. We don't like Lori's religion. We don't like Bill Cosby's politics. We don't like... Uh, that the mouth on that Martha Stewart, we don't, you know, those are the things that are being curtailed. You don't, the MAGA hat thing, we don't like MAGA hats, obviously. We don't, we like Nancy Pelosi. We, we don't like Trump. All these things, that's how they, they make these decisions and they do it by, they are able to do it by really screwing with these millennial old, in some cases, fundamental principles of law that are there to keep us like the vax thing. They have a stranglehold over medical information, a stranglehold. You are not allowed to say something true about a supplement without FDA approval. It caused many children to get spina bifida long after they knew that folic acid prevented it because the FDA would not come out and say it. And they fought people who were trying to sell folic acid and tell people what it was for. They fought people. Speaking of saying saying something that's true they are asked what their prescription is for 
information that's not demonstrably false that could very well all be true. And I found the way that the one of these guys responded kind of interesting. Amount of you know misleading information you're you're not going to be able to do anything with because you're not going to be able to know in the first instance uh, where where it came from or or who's manipulating it. But what if it's true? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, so what? So he's talking about That's you're not going to know said. where it came from or who manipulated it, and That's then they what said, Putin said, "But what if it's true?" Yeah. So he, listen to his answer. Does this to the, go? Does this go to motive as a new element of a crime? You know what I'm talking about? What's inside people's heads when they do something? Well, I'm always saying like people confuse motive with intent. The two elements of a crime are the act and the intent. Did you intend to do the act, or was it an accident? Yeah. Not the motive behind it. So Biden can tell a misstatement, but Trump lies. And how do we know? Because what's in their hearts, which we know. Because what's in their hearts and related to that because of the source. So an informa- information is not true or false based on whether or is not worthy of being disseminated to the public. False. Not based on whether it's true, but based on who it comes from. And that's what I think he makes clear in his response to, to, what, to this what if it's true question. If the Russian government is spending money to promote stories that are irrefutably true, say they're about— then you're, Yeah, then, then you're looking for uh, categories of behavior that indicate that, there, that there's some inauthenticity to the, uh, uh, the accounts that are sending it. I mean, the, the, uh, the platforms have been moving more in that, in that direction, taking down accounts on that basis. But all of this points to the fact that you're not going to be able to get everything, that no matter how aggressive uh, you are, uh, and not everyone wants to be that aggressive, uh, th- this environment is going to be shot through with, with uh, material of, of uh, questionable provenance. Provenance? I think that's what he said. Yeah, cr- questionable provenance? Not questionable veracity? Well, he chose Providence. <laughs> so. I think what he's saying there is that. Yeah. Even if you say, even if you are giving out true information, if it's information that can be associated with a Russian as Russian propaganda, then they will try and see if your account, you know, sends out too many tweets at a time, and then they'll, they'll remove you from a platform. So you can right. set up a bot that tells nothing but the truth. But if it's telling truth they don't like, they'll say it because it's a bot. It's Russian. We're getting Or you it. and me. Yeah. You and me, right? They don't like what we say. So, so we are the source. And provenance is what he said. And what provenance means, the definition of provenance is the place of origin or earliest known history of something. So he is. So when asked if it mattered whether or not it was true, he he answered that question by saying it matters where it came from. Yeah, exactly. It matters where it came from and where it came from. So and I that's have this been Trump Biden thing. Comes from Biden right now. It's okay. Comes from Trump right now. It's not. Right. But I've also and you have pointed this out first and frequently that anybody. It's an, again a tautology. Anybody who says this thing, this this Russian truth, this truth of Russian provenance, is Russian. Yeah. You yeah. know, we're Russian. So they can say, I can say, well, it's not Russian, it's Monica Perez. Well, she's clearly Russian because she says stuff that's bad. <laughs> that 
we don't like. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, they 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 say I think that nasty troll the other day was saying I was Russian. That's the default position. Is that anybody who doesn't go along the I hate Trump lines is going to be framed as spreading Russian propaganda. So it's not about the information. It's about well, it is about the information. It's about whether the information is suitable to the left or the right. And if it's more even the right, even people on the right buy into the Russian thing though. So yeah, it's people well, who question what do you this mean? mainstream thing. Do what? People on the right buy into the Russian thing? There's a lot of people on the they right believe who, it. who yeah, are yeah, all yeah. on board that yeah. Russia interfered in everything. It. And, uh, yeah. Trump says it. Yeah, Trump says Trump it too. Says You're it. right. But these guys that you're playing for us now, they're very careful not to set up objective touchstones that work in any direction. They're very careful not to answer those questions like, what if it's Trump instead of Nancy? What if it's Democrats instead of Yeah, Russians? they skip by those questions. True, instead of – even though it's Russian. They are absolutely not answering those questions. They're doing that the whole – all right, I wasn't Because play- they know the answer. I'm just saying like they could just lie, and this could be an early stage of this and change it later. Like you can keep your doctor if you like it, but they're not. They know what they're doing. Yeah, well, here, here's one time where – what what you're describing is on full display. They obviously weren't expecting this question, and if you're watching the video, you can see the woman come over and stand next to this person asking the question and kind of wait to give me that microphone back. How dare you ask this question? This is a long clip, but since we have a little bit of extra time, I'm going to play it for you. And they were not expecting this subject to be brought up. I can tell you that. A certain amount of once again, I have clicked on the wrong, <laughs> That's okay. wrong one. I got time. I don't care. Uh, I'm Lucy Commissar. I'm a journalist. Uh, in the New York Times yesterday, there was a story, the headline, Ukrainian president says no blackmail in phone call with Trump uh, by Michael Schwartz. Uh, Mr. He said, Mr. Zelensky also said he didn't care what happens in the case of Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company that once employed a son of former Vice President Joe Biden. In the phone call, President Trump had asked Mr. Zelensky to do him a favor and investigate the debunked theory that Mr. Biden had directed Ukraine to fire an anti-corruption prosecutor who had his sights on the company. Debunked was the word of the author, not of Trump. Well, uh, go back to January 23rd, 2018. In this room, uh, Joe Biden speaking to the council on the record. And I went over, I guess, the 12th or 13th time to Kiev, and I was supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I'd gotten a commission from Poroshenko and and from Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. I'm uh, eliminating a couple of paragraphs just for time, just to get to the nut graph. I looked at them and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch, laughter, he got fired. Now, what would you say about this disinformation in the New York Times yesterday? And do you think that they should take down this demonstrably false information? What, what are you saying is false about it? Well, uh, the, the writer says that it was a debunked theory that Biden directed the Ukraine to fire an anti-corruption prosecutor who had his sights on the company. In, in, this, in the council here, 
Biden says exactly that he said we would not uh, give the billion dollar loan guarantee unless you fired this prosecutor. It seems to me that uh, Biden in one place uh, is telling the truth and uh, in another place he's not. Maybe we have to figure out that, but I don't think he lied to the council. It's all online. Anybody can see it. Therefore, it seems to me the Times wrote fake news and they should be asked to take it down. I think the point that you're that you're actually making the larger point that I think people would be interested in is that a, a, re, a reputable organization that does this looks at looks at errors and puts researches them and corrects them when they make them. If it in fact is an error, they, people should uh, correct it. But that's a, a generalized principle, and I don't know anything about the truth or falsehood of what you just said. I'm just saying that that's one of the things you want that Rick's well, talked about I, is, I, is transparency and correction. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's I don't think we want to litigate this because we don't. We're not experts on that particular state. If I could just go in the weeds for a second, having gone to Ukraine several times at the same time that Vice President Biden was there, he was there twelve or thirteen times. I went three times. That prosecutor was a corrupt prosecutor who was <laughs> uh, shaking down the people he would potentially prosecute, who already had exonerated Burisma. The, son, the, the company that his son worked for. So he was saying the prosecutor that exonerated Burisma needed to be fired. And you know who else was saying it? The IMF, the World Bank, the EU, everybody else. It was a corrupt prosecutor. There you go. That is a lie. <laughs> that guy was not corrupt and it wasn't exonerated. He was upset too. He was fiery. With that, this they were guy, not they, happy. Ch- they shut her mic off. Oh, they went over and took 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 the mic away from her. The lady was standing next to her, like, um, "Yeah, give me the freaking mic back." Yeah, had they let her in? I don't know. She's not getting. Well, back that's in the council again. of foreign relations. How old is she? I she wonder was if she older. ends up dead. What's her name? Uh, if she's older, it's more likely she'll end up dead, in my opinion. What's her name? I can play the beginning of the clip again. And nut graph. Nut graph. I've yeah. never heard that word before in my entire You've life. You've never heard nut, nut graph? graph? That's a journalist. That's a article writing structure that journalists use when presenting. Does that news. mean the meat of the matter? The nut meat? I'm not sure what the nut graph form is, but I remember studying. I studied journalism in college, yeah. along with economics, and that was one of the forms that you were supposed to use. There's a there's a bunch of different ones, but that's one of the standards. I can't remember the exact outline of that. Oh, I think she's a... getting out the who, what, when, where, how, and so what. Uh-huh. Her mm-hmm. name is... Yep. Uh, I'm Lucy Commissar. I'm a journalist. Uh, in the New York Times... Lucy Commissar. Ru- that's a Russian name, right? Is it? Dirk Maybe Commissar. that was German. Putin. Maybe Dirk Commissar. Putin sent an agent in there. Lucy Commissar, boy, she'll never work again. Yeah, we're not going to be hearing too many other questions from her again. Wow. And then the chick tries to cover it up. I think what you're saying is that the New York Times will obviously issue a correction. Well, we don't want to litigate this right here. We right don't now. want to litigate. I have no idea what you're talking about. What could possibly be false about that? These are the, I have to say, at least the Army War College, they sound like a little less like clowns. Yeah. These guys sound like clowns. Yeah. Well, but they're just, see, that's the thing. These guys are hell bent on running the damn world. Yeah. Yeah, listen. Pisses to this. me off. Here's the solution. <laughs> the, the moderator asks, "Okay, what what is the solution?" I love the way that the moderator's brief introduction, his oh, answer. Hold on. Just just opposes with uh, this guy's answer. You have to say that again, but first I have to just say something. The guy who got up was like, "I was in Ukraine. I was there with Biden." Blah 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 blah. What he said was not that the theory 
was not debunked. He was saying it was true, but justifiable. Right. So that to characterize it that way is okay because facts are facts, but truth is truth, bitch. And that just put it on display, what he was talking about a second ago, that the the information is fine if it comes from the source that's right, Biden, but it's not good if it comes from anybody else. Like that that lady was telling something that was true, yet they were like, no, 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 because that was not the information they wanted out there. So she's Russian, basically, for saying the truth. <laughs> right. So I'm sorry I interrupted you because I was still triggered from the time before. And I shouldn't use vulgarity. I'm sorry. Is that vulgar? All right. They're asked, how do we lessen disinformation? And they start to explore some solutions here. Coming up with an agenda for the United States of America, for the citizens of America, for the government of America to lessen the risk of disinformation because as paul said at the very beginning democracy can't function if nobody believes anything so we should have engineers looking for deep fakes we should have Hold true on. and faithful news the platform start over should yeah sorry i just i can't get past democracy can't function if nobody believes anything because to me that is the lie about democracy that i am looking at it's so freaking powerful because they convince you that you are the one calling the shots and it do, it's a complete mind job because if you don't believe it it doesn't work democracy doesn't have to you don't have to believe anything we have the bill of rights don't believe anything obey the bill of rights they don't nobody needs to believe anything democracy isn't about our democracy our democratic republic isn't really so much about making laws as respecting the fundamental structure, the rights and protections from this very limited government we were supposed to have. Like democracy, you really don't need to highly educate the populace over and over constantly 24-7, which is what they're doing. They're only doing that because they want to make more and more laws that fundamentally disagree with these principles and protections. They're always trying to move the dial away from where it defaults to from our foundational documents. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It only doesn't – I mean what he said, I think it would work a lot better if all these screens went away. All these propaganda devices went away. Oh yeah, definitely. Those—that's their access point to people, and people have yeah, it on, I mean, that's on what them all it's the time. We have for. a propaganda delivering device in our hand all the time, and they—they clearly don't care. I'm lumping this guy in the CFR with all these coups and stuff that the United States is executing, and and this—they talk about the EU, the UN, CFR, all this stuff is all of a piece in my mind. They clearly don't care about democracy at all, at all. The Ukraine situation was about taking out the democratically elected guy, and and it's just a tell. The same thing with the Second Amendment. They use these protections, these rights, these devices to to implant this totalitarianism, and when they have the power, they don't care about the democracy anymore. They don't care about the Second Amendment anymore. That's when it all just goes away. It's going to be turnkey. So for now, he's championing democracy, 
because it's a way to put into practice the propaganda that they're advocating. Yeah, and they can get the social media companies to and put pressure on them and act. Yes, like and they need not... to curate it and censor it so there's only one opinion. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of democracy has only one opinion? A democracy that's really there simply to get your consent, your buy-in, your capitulation. Coming up with an agenda for the United States of America, for the citizens of America, for the government of America to lessen the risk of disinformation. Because, as Paul said at the very beginning, a democracy can't function if nobody believes anything. So, we should have engineers looking for deep fakes. We should have true and faithful news. The platforms should be looking for this stuff much harder. What else? And do you need cooperating to do? with each other to a greater degree than they do, and cooperating with the government to a greater degree than they do, in order to exchange information and uh, s- uh, s- you know sort of suss out uh, threats uh, sooner than uh, otherwise they might. Uh, and they, they need to do a lot of what a lot more of what they've already been doing: hiring more people to review content and continuing to improve their uh, artificial intelligence filters. I love that the moderator was like, true, fair news or whatever. And then he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, and cooperation with the government and giving over all your information to the government. Look, there was so every single solitary word of that made me mad. So I'll just tell you a few of them. First of all, what was the date on this? Because that Google stuff came out today. This was like two weeks ago. Yeah, the Google thing where they're going to fact check and not let politi- politicians or whatever ads target people specifically down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Well, that stuff makes this makes it more high level, which takes away kind of choice and refinement. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, it's completely consistent with what these guys are saying. But he's talking about them working with each other and the government. So he's advocating collusion and conspiracy. He's right. I mean, people say I'm crazy to think that they plot this stuff. He's advocating collusion and conspiracy. He's advocating public private cooperation, which means it's not you can't use this this BS that it's a private company. And that's why it doesn't have to adhere to the protections that we have from government if they're cooperating with government and they do cooperate with government because there are quid pro quos. In there, I think that's what happened to Travis Kalanick because he wouldn't uh, cooperate with Operation Greyball. So, uh, what they're talking about here is a couple of things pre crime. He said yes. we need to do it sooner, we need to broaden the net. So, type two errors, which means they include totally innocent people, which is their goal, of course. Their goal, see, this is the thing that's so hard to. Remember, every time they pro- they they rule out one of these gun control things or mental health things or censorship things, they create the crises. At the very least, they allow them to happen to provide pretexts for this stuff. Their goal isn't to stop gun violence or stop mental health issues or get a more uh, rigorous, truthful media that is not their goal these are the excuses they're using so when they say cast a broader net we're going to make some mistakes the mistakes are the goal the goal is me and you the goal is not russian bots they created russian bots yeah you know i mean that's the goal is to allow that allow new knowledge to operate and keep you and me from operating and then to talk about ai 
and using, you know, they, they're hiring more people to curate this stuff. They have tens of thousands of people. I got taken down immediately and my kids, there was the, the rash of suicide pop-ups and kids stuff on YouTube. They can't stop that stuff. You can't register your channel and well, leave Putin it up for didn't review. Spread that stuff, so. Yeah, but I mean that's that. If you think, if anyone were to think that these guys are operating in good faith, I think just a, a cursory look at the the state of Google YouTube censorship will show that the stuff that's really bad for our kids and our communities and our culture and society is promoted. And the stuff that would add to a robust political discourse is suppressed. And AI means they don't have to put manpower behind it. Mm-hmm. Google and... Jigsaw is all about that. And it's about curating out sarcasm. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. You know, when, when they said Lutsenko— The Nancy Pelosi video was a joke. Yeah, and they said Lutsenko in this Ukraine thing sarcastically did something, which it wasn't sarcastic. He said he absolutely did it. It was for real. But they would consider it, you know, they can excise any reference to that because they claim it's sarcastic. Speaking of children, you mentioned a moment ago, he's got a plan for them also. One of the things I say in the book is um, uh, we don't have a fake news problem. We have a media literacy problem. Lots and lots of people. Once I left journalism, I realized, wow, lots and lots of people can't actually tell the provenance of information and where it comes from and what's a reliable source and what's not a reliable source has to be taught in schools, starting like in an elementary school. And um, that, that's the reason that, that so much of this has purchased, is that people can't tell that it's false, and they're more susceptible to believe it. That's exactly what I saw. Authority, authority, authority. And there's that word provenance again. Yeah, they are using that word. Yes, because— It was because, the other guy that used it last Yes, time. it was the other guy, because they pronounced it differently. They, it matters. That's what they're going to say because what we, you and I look for is evidence for proof. These guys are just gently segueing us into, that's another word for authority. They needed a different word for authority because I'm telling you, when I was shopping for schools for my kids, they kept saying every single school had the same thing about, uh, from conspiracy theories to fact check the internet, authority, authority, authority. What does that, that word mean? Provenance. Yeah, I just looked it up, and I'll I, I'll read it to you again. It says the place of origin or earliest known history of something, the beginning of something's existence, something's origin, a record of ownership of a work of art or antique uses a guide to authenticity or quality. So it's uh, it's about its source. Provenance yeah. just means the source. Yeah, and that's dangerous because. The source is the authority. They are these people are the source. These people are the ones who want to decide what the source is. Absolutely. They want to be the authority. Right. And they and they've already demonstrated repeatedly that they're highly biased and they're willing to dismiss democratic malfeasance. They're willing to dismiss uh fake news from the New York Times. They're willing to dismiss a Trump baby. But not a Pelosi drunk. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's all about their judgment. And this that is how they this is if you talk to especially I mean, it's more obvious with the European elites who I've known. They they they're so 
up there in the stratosphere of smug, you know, that was the fart cloud was smug. Yeah. That, like, so I think my skill or whatever people who, conspiracy theorists maybe, are, the skill is to question assumptions, identify assumptions and question them. And that is, right. that is exactly, I read that passage from the big con yesterday that focused on con artists are able to get away with what they get away with because of the basic assumptions that most people hold. Yeah. Well, I I didn't connect, connect that dot, but what these guys do, yes, that's that is how that's how I am able to basically quickly analyze situations and right. myths. You know, that, that's how, and that's myths. why conspiracy theorists can defend themselves from that because they question the assumptions. That, yeah, and that then you can say like they can identify where the evidence is lacking. Yeah, but when you deal with these elite. Europeans, and I really hate to generalize, but it's happened to me numerous times. Like, they want to dismiss me, and elite Americans as well, but I think I know all sorts of Americans, but the the Europeans I've had contact with tend to be, like, when I used to be an investment banker, or, you know what I mean? So, like, maybe I just had that experience with elite Europeans, and the elite Americans are the same way. But they get diluted by, like, free thinkers. So, what, but they, they will... So I say always refute, never dismiss. So if I raise a question to you about an assumption, don't shrug it off. You you must refute it. You don't believe in God? Fine. Let's talk about why. And don't laugh at me for thinking that there is a chance of all the possibilities for the existence of the universe. There's a chance that it's a an intelligence in a different dimension. Mm-hmm. One, say it's one in a million chance. I mean – it's one in a million chance, right? So then you're an agnostic and not an atheist, right? But there are atheists who can't answer that question. Yeah. So so these guys take dismiss over refute to the to this level where you will say, but but how do you justify your your standards, your bias? As being the standard that we should apply here, because it's clearly, clearly this guy's applying a bias. You can't deny it. Like that guy's like, like that wasn't debunked. Biden was totally justified. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or that was debunked, but, but Biden was justified. So shut up. (laughs) Get her out of here. Yeah. So these, so these guys will like, I'll say to them, I'll say these things and they, they, they talk to me, it boggles their mind because they can see I'm intelligent and they know I'm educated because I know half of them from these places. They talk to me. I mean, they will say things to me like you're, you're talking like an ignorant, low rent, whatever, you know, like only the ignorant masses don't recognize the neoliberal intellectual paradigm as being more evolved, <laughs> you know, and and it becomes a status thing. So it's virtue yeah. signaling. Yeah, that's what yeah, it is. It is a it's lot of virtue, virtue signaling. signaling. Absolutely, and, and questioning those underlying assumptions make you sound like you're pro mass shooting. Yeah, I know. There's no other alternative than that. Yeah. You question you're, well, assumption. next thing you know, you're going to be at a Walmart, aren't you? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> well, they'll have you arrested before then, though, because of all your Facebook activities, all those questions well, they, that you ask. They'll put they, – it would be a mental institution. She was very smart, but she was clearly – She was the smartest person in the mental institution. Yeah, a lot of smart people in mental institutions. I got one more clip for you, more of a positive clip, even if she maybe doesn't mean it. I don't know. I don't know what her intent is, but I think you'll like this clip. I think you'll like this one in a way that's not necessarily triggering. The word message is a very, very dirty word at, at, at the Voice of America because that implies that you are you are deliberately moving your your content in order to achieve a particular end. Yes, I say that I say that we have an offensive offensive weapon, and I do say that this whole argument has, in fact, won a little bit because I'm going to tell you what I think our offensive weapon is, and I'm going to see a collective eye roll around the room, which is our, our most effective weapon is our First Amendment. There you go. I don't know if she well, believes it or I not. She is more. Voice of America. I want her to explain it. Do you have more? No. Not from that. She went on to something else after that. No way. She didn't elaborate. Huh. I have another clip from her. People can distinguish truth from lies. One of the ways they can do it is by seeing things head to head and they can make decisions. I mean, the famous example is the Chinese trail derailment. Remember that when they said nothing here to watch, nobody hurt. And the, the people that were there doing their, you know, uploading their, their f- photos were showing that they actually were. And that, that caused a lot of dissonance in, in the Chinese media ecosystem. And that's what they're removing and is our ability to do that. Yeah, that's what she was saying. That yeah. is the answer. That is, it's, that's what I was wondering. I was like, is the First Amendment the answer because it's competitive? And that is, and that's what I was thinking before, is that the decentralized sources negate each other. They all have competing interests, and they can go in there and negate each other. But a centralized system can be hijacked and controlled. Only one person can have the poll at any one time. Who He's- is that? Do you know who that chick was? Her name is Amanda Bennett, the director of Voice of America. She was the counter to their – they were pretty hardcore, take away all your rights and First Amendments. I mean they weren't saying the First Amendment's terrible, but they were – Well – They were expressing basically that the First Amendment gets in the way. Yeah, that's interesting because – I might have one more to where he expresses Well, the fact that she anticipated a collective eye roll by – Harkening to the te- First Amendment is it, it, by itself all you need to hear. But I will say uh, this. My, more. Yeah. my father was a traditional conservative, classical liberal, depending on how you look at it, basically precursor to the modern libertarian. He loved Ron Paul, always loved Ron Paul, always, always, always. And he used to, way back when, he liked radio-free Europe, he would say that we broadcast messages of freedom and liberty behind the Iron Curtain to give those people hope and education and a touchstone. In the, we used to pray for the Russians all the time for people behind the Iron Curtain. My parents still to this day won't buy from China. My father's dead, but my mother doesn't. Uh, so I was raised to think that Radio Free Europe was good, a Radio Free America, whatever it was called. This chick works for that. So my guess is, you know, there's a true believer. uh, You have to be, you have to mean it. You know what I mean? You have to mean it. Somebody over there means it. It's like the military. Most of those guys are there for the right reasons. Almost all of them. Yeah. 
They're there for the right reasons. And if they weren't, they couldn't do what they have to do. Yeah, you can't exactly. second-guess killing somebody. That's why drones are better than actually being on the ground and seeing that you're in somebody else's country and they're just trying to cross the street, you know? And you don't know for sure that they're a terrorist, but your boss just told you it was, you know? That uh, you have to kind of be a true believer sometimes to execute like this. And she sounds like she's Yeah, I think most are true believers because, like you said, in order to get people to do this, they ha- do things like that. They have to believe they are facing an evil and that they have the moral high ground and that what is right and justice demands that they take action. And a lot of effort. Think we spend all our time, you and me, figuring it out, like the, what the messages they're sending to try to brainwash people all the time. Who are we? We're little nobodies. We're not making these big meetings and telling the whole world that Google needs to cooperate with the government to do what we want to do. We're just trying to crack the code on this stuff. So all that energy, all that effort is put into making sure that not only the the population is brainwashed, but that these people who are executing are true believers. Now, the guys from the CFR are in that smug cloud. See, she's more like a freedom fighter in her mind, and she and it sounds like she really is. Maybe she is. She had some really good stuff to say. Here's the last one. we got to get out of here. They are asked, does deep state-sponsored misinformation constitute aggression? Well, one of the things I've been saying for a long time is that um, the Russians didn't meddle in our election. They did an act of cyber warfare against the foundation of our democracy. That's not meddling. I think when when there's state-sponsored disinformation, I I think there should be repercussions for it. And, And part of the reason there's more and more is that no country pays any consequences for it. I mean, yes, we sanctioned the Russians uh, or a few Russians, but um, but it, it, it's not a disincentive for them to do more. So what should we have done? We're not going to nuke them, right? Like, where's the line that we're going <laughs> to... Well, I think we should have declared there's a, some, something akin to a kind of information national emergency that our election is being... Uh, interfered with by foreign hostile power in ways that we uh, that ways that we still don't know. And people have to be wary. So wow. he, he wants earlier, more. Yeah. He earlier talked about how one of the challenges is that Russian actors will get Americans to do their bidding for them. And he gives an example of how at Trump rallies, people would promote, they would chant, lock her up. I'm talking about Hillary Clinton. And he said that the challenge of this is that well, you have these Americans that are exercising their First Amendment right because they were persuaded by Russians to uh, their, to exercise their First Amendment right to want to put Hillary Clinton in prison. And the First Amendment's basically in the way is what he's saying there, and that the actors are going to be Americans who are going to be spreading this stuff. And when he, when you take that mm-hmm. and you combine it with what he said here. Oh, my gosh. You know, you see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Domestic terrorists. We're Russian agents, exactly. even though we're American. And they talk about how domestic terrorists. And they can just put you in jail yes. for that. That's this tautology. Like, if you say anything wrong, you're Russian. Why? Because Russians, nobody else would say anything wrong. Yeah. That's crazy. Maybe it's – I uh, might have that clip so you But can this hear thing it. about the national emergency, it was very – like they made a big stink about Trump calling national emergency on the border, and I knew it was a bad precedent. I expected – I didn't expect it for this, but it might be for the election. I expected 
one of these days with the mass shooting, that you're going to have a national emergency and it's going to let Bill Barr bring all his his stuff forward. Oh, yeah, that stuff you've been gun talking control. about, the pre-crime. Yeah, but I don't – pre-crime, gun, gun control, mental health stuff, I don't expect it to be before Trump's election unless he's meant to lose. But I, I think a national emergency will be used – I think that's definitely something to look for now that he said that. I think this might be the clip that I'm talking about. Let's see. One of the things in the in the Senate intelligence report that I found interesting was this idea that um, the Russians masquerading as Americans would uh, seduce or entice actual Americans to do their bidding uh, on the web. You wrote about some examples that they did in 2016. Right. The, the one that still kills me that actually wasn't in the final Mueller report. It was in the first Mueller indictment. And I think you mentioned it in your report that from St. Petersburg, the guys from the Internet Research Agency create, did a rally, a pro-Trump rally in Palm Beach where they hired a flatbed truck and an actress to play Hillary Clinton in a prison cell on the back of the flatbed truck. And they did that from St. Petersburg. That was in the first Mueller invite, indictment. I don't know why he didn't put it into the, into the Mueller report. But in terms of them using Americans to do their bidding, I would worry about that in 2020. That's very hard to detect because if you persuade somebody in Palm Beach to do something like that again, then that's an American person expressing their First Amendment rights to you know, say Hillary Clinton should be in prison. So that's the challenge that he mm-hmm. sees it. Is how, how to put Americans in jail for exercising. I'm telling you, we are looking well, at Well, Maria this, Butina. I'm right. surprised he didn't say there that Maria go. Butina was the one who did that. And and the, the Senate intelligence report that was written by New Knowledge were the only Russian bots in existence. I think is he this, was talking about a kidding? different one that came out. There were a couple, but yeah. I, I have no recently. reason to believe that it has any more yeah, veracity. And it might also have been written by New Knowledge. It probably was. And that thing about Maria Butina, that I didn't think about that, but yeah, so sad. When is it going to be just regular Americans that are just that believe something that they don't like that Hillary should be in prison, and that will get you arrested as a Russian spy? I think her boyfriend, Maria Butina's boyfriend, went to jail for like fraud or something, like a legitimate dude. They just, I think, they persecuted him. The closer we get to World War Three, the more stuff like this will. Amp yes, that up. you know that was been in the back of my mind this whole time is that they just are trying to figure out how to shut people up, yeah. and lock people up. Exactly. I mean, this whole time I've just saw parallels of Lincoln and Wilson, and what they did. Yeah, and, and right. this Espionage Act bubbling up to the fore all of a sudden under Obama, that may be what they use. I mean. Well, but they we'll use see. other things. You know, they put people in jail for other things. They don't want to have to do it that way because it's too complicated to do case by case. But if they can just round everybody up or really, actually, the genius of them creating the Internet was that you don't have to round anybody up. You can shut them down just by shutting them off. Right. When everything's dependent on the Internet now and they can take people's livelihoods away, too. By and not, them not only that, but simply because that is the public square. I had some clips I was going to play that. It's a military video from like the 1940s that teaches young men how to find success with young brunette women. But I was unable to get all the clips exported, so we'll have to save that one for next time. It's, it's fantastic <laughs> lessons on etiquette. It really is.
<laughs> okay. And he talks like this. If you want to be successful with brunette women, things they make back then seem so, like, proper. Well, I wonder. I mean, I'm going to evaluate it myself because Yeah, I can't I'm wait to brunette. do it. I'll have to do that one next week. I'm a brown-haired girl. Thank you for your time. I know. That's why I thought you'd like it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how brunettes and see I really am I have a hard time with perspectives from other people. Like I I, I don't I mean I had a blonde friend who said it's annoying because everyone thinks she's stupid. And I was like, "Wow. That would be annoying." But I have no sense of well, other Is she stupid? She wasn't that smart actually. To be honest. Maybe with it's you. not the hair. Maybe it isn't. Yikes. Well, anyway, but I do, I actually really, I was so excited when Eric Holder first said, like, let's have an honest discussion about race. And I was so excited. I was like, I really have no idea what it is to be a different race or ethnicity or nationality or, I mean, I'm telling you, like, Canadians, like, have different humor yeah. a little bit yeah. than we do. Like, that is the closest foreign culture you could possibly have. They speak the same language. We have the same, I mean, imagine... How different it is to be like uh, an Iraqi refugee, you know? Yeah, I can't. And imagine. I have, I'm just really curious. I really, I hope there's a reform. I heard somebody suggest today that uh, it was on Econ Talk, which is a podcast I've, I'm growing an appreciation for, that the way they solved that problem was that people kept diaries. Now, her goal was to make people feel less like worried about immigration. And I mean, there is a worry about immigration that like, if you want to maintain a culture so that you have those norms, you know, that I was talking about earlier, loosening up on, on your goal for that isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, bringing people into it is okay. I think, but um, I mean, I'm not saying it's okay or not. Okay. I'm just saying her goal was to get people okay with it like to change people's minds about their um, cultural protectiveness. Uh, but I think it's just, it would be very interesting from a human perspective. And what she said to do is like, you keep an, a genuine open diary. Like every day you write a page in your diary and it's online for, or whatever it's designated into this pool where people can read it. And they matched people with from Pakistan and I think the UK or the US or something. And at first people really thought the other person was quite different. And then after a while they realized they were the same. And I actually think that's really true and really helpful and would really have been a better way for Starbucks to approach their problem. Yeah. Than to do the actual opposite. So yeah. I'm all for that. I'm all for harmony. I do think that there's value in culture. And I think our culture is like purely materialistic. So just coming here and sinking or swimming solves any cultural clash that you could possibly have. It's yeah. the welfare state that makes the culture clash a real problem. And then you have to start worrying about borders and everything like that. So I'm not against expanding the culture at all. I just, uh, I just think it's people put a lot of effort into winning people over acting like z it's always hate like i really have a problem with the like that the word hate everything's hate like it's hard to conjure hate i'm not great at hate i i think people like i can't even do it when it's appropriate and would be protective of myself but i think that there are like prejudices and perceptions and misperceptions and stereotypes all that kind of stuff that drive like behaviors you uh -huh. know i just I've really been thinking about <laughs> 
hate crime. Anyway, sorry, buddy. <laughs> that was a complete tangent. Well, thank you for that tangent. It's very insightful. And thank you, everyone who listened and everyone who has donated via PayPal or Patreon. You are what supports the show. And anybody who wants to help out, you can become a patron. You can donate through PayPal. You can spread the word. You can tell your friends about the show. Or you can leave us nice messages on Twitter or wherever. And thank you, Monica, for your time. And we will talk to you guys next time. You were listening Always to the a pleasure. Propaganda thank Report. Thank you. See you thank later. Thank you for all your hard work. Oh, yeah. Thepropreport.com. And be sure and check out Drive Time News Blast every weekday yes, at 4 p.m. That uh, is a big hit. We will talk to you guys next time.